coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. Stories where I think we're about week, week uh, four into this thing right now. And, and, and the whole goal or the idea is that we would, we would look at this book in a little bit of a different way. You know, the, the incredible thing about, about this book, which is the Bible, in case you're wondering what I'm holding in my hand, is that this book is, is, the found, is really the foundational, full of the foundational truths that, that we're, we're all about. You know, the church exists because we follow, you know, what it says in this book. The what we even believe in is all, is all spelled out here in this book. We, we, find, we find wisdom, guidance, truth, comfort, peace, life. We find all these things when, when we read the words in these pages. What we're attempting to do in this series and over the next number of weeks is, is dive into stories that are captured in this book, stories that for many of us might be familiar, for some of us might be brand new. And yet, I'm hoping that we can begin to see this book and read these words in a different way. You saw, when we, when we, when we read this book and we, we hear these things, I can't help but get excited and, and get, get built up. I, I get some faith. I get encouraged. I, I find some life. And, and, and I love jumping into this book. But the reality is, I think we treat this book and these stories much the same as we do the stories we consume on a day-to-day basis, whether it be through TV or movies, Netflix, good book, or even my favorite, a campfire story, where we hear it, we get the vibes, we get the tingles, maybe you get excited, maybe you get afraid, maybe you, you feel something, and then just like any other content that we consume, Eventually, the feeling moves on. Now, maybe you watched an incredible documentary on, like, only living a, a, a juice lifestyle. And you watch this thing, and you go by, if you're like me, you go by a juicer immediately. And uh, you start just, like, juicing stuff. Then you realize how much money this actually costs and how terrible most juice is uh, if you do it yourself. Uh, that's not true. It's amazing. But you go, and, and, and you see these impacts, and you see these changes, but they only last for a moment. Maybe you watch one on a documentary on, on how people are treated in another country, and for a while you become really interested, and you become really stimulated, and it provokes you, and there's a little bit of a change of thought, but at the end of the day, not much changes. At the end of the day, we, we see a bump of three or four weeks, and then we settle back into our own and familiar routines, and amazingly, do we treat these words any differently? The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the good news 
about Christ. And so when we hear these words and we eat these words, the Bible says what just means we consume we consume it. I love to listen to the Bible. Some, we love to read the Bible. We love to hear teaching about the Bible. This is a foundational truth. We'll, we would even say, man, we stand on the Bible, which doesn't mean physically standing on, on paper, but this is like our foundation. This is our truth. This is, this is what we believe. This is everything. This book is the highest standard, and yet it's such a struggle for us. To live this book. And I find myself repeatedly asking the question, man, I read these things. How come this doesn't happen to me now? How come this, maybe you've asked this question, does this even work? The truth is, of course it works. In this room we have stories. This room is full of stories. Each and every one of you where God has done something where he said something to you, where there's been a miraculous intervention of some sort. Now, you may not identify it as such, but the truth is he's, he's at work in your life. He's doing something in you, and yet we find ourselves circling back around going, yes, this book is the standard, but I'm not sure that it's entirely effective. You know, they say that the human body or the, you know, the average human only uses, the best of us use about 10% of our brain capacity. It's my thought today, I believe, that, that the best of us use 10% of our faith capacity. That we, 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 we see this and we go, there must be more. There must be so much more. It's not working like it, it said it should. Right. And you're not functioning like you were created to either. We've got this gap we've got this deficit and yet God is calling us forward into something better in Acts 1 8 he says this you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in, Ju in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth you're going to be my witnesses as we've, as we've discussed the last number of weeks this word Witness is like a legal witness. Like, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God, put your hand on a Bible. So God says his spirit is going to come upon us. And we will become witnesses. Now some of us get uncomfortable with the language of the Holy Spirit coming upon us and giving us power. Some of us get un uncomfortable with this idea because we've, we've got some misconceptions about what that looks like, what that feels like, what that sounds like, how that should operate, when it should operate, how it should function. And so we, we read these things and say, well, well, number one, I don't think God's doing anything in my life, so how can I be a witness? And number two, I'm not so excited about this idea of Holy Spirit power. See, we don't have to be afraid of God using the Holy Spirit in our lives because it's the way that God has chosen to function. You say, how come God has to use the Holy Spirit? How come he, couldn't, he can't just do everything with Jesus? I, you know, Jesus I like. I like Jesus. Old Testament God, not so much. He's angry. Holy Spirit makes people crazy. 
I like Jesus. He helps the poor. He, he heals people. How come we can't just do Jesus this way? You know, God chose to be the Trinity, three in one. It's an eternal mystery. We'll never figure it out. But what we can do is we can understand how God functions and how he wants to work in our lives. You know, I've, I've told you this before. I believe that, that the Trinity, the best way that I can describe it is like the A-team. If you've seen the A-team, God the Father is Hannibal. He comes up with all the plans, all the strategies, everything. Jesus Christ is the face. And the Holy Spirit is Mr. T. He's the power to break through the walls and break every chain and take down, you know, whatever. He's going to take you out. So why does God work that way? You see, here's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, whether or not we even want to acknowledge it. Whether or not we, in, in fact, whether or not we even believe in it. See, when, when Jesus in Colossians 1, well, in Genesis 1, we see the, the, all three members of the Trinity are present at creation. In Colossians 1, it gives us a New Testament perspective of creation. And Jesus started speaking things into existence. And he was, as he was speaking things into existence, they came into existence through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was that creative, life-giving force. That's what the Holy Spirit is. If you, it's, like, it's like this incredible force. It's the actual power of God. It's how he gets things done. So you may not like that that's how God gets things done, but that's how God gets things done. And I believe whether or not we accept it or acknowledge it or put a name on it, he is the third person of the Trinity, and he is at work in our lives right now. That's how I know that my brothers and my sisters who are cessationists, which are people who uh, do not believe in the active work of the Holy Spirit right now, and yet they believe in miracles, that's how I know that whether or not we acknowledge it <laughs> or we even say that we believe it or we even like it, God is at work because when he's at work, he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit, which was his gift to us when Jesus Christ left this earth. So whether we're uncomfortable with it or not, that's the way God gets stuff done. Whether we like it or not, the Holy Spirit is already at work in your life right now. So am I willing to acknowledge it and work with him so I can increase my faith capacity or is he going to work around me, working all things together for my good for those who are called according to his purpose? We can either work with him or he can work around us, which is a lot like hurting a kitten. <laughs> go this way. No, they do not go that way. You know, I know the Bible calls us sheep, but sometimes we're just cats. We, don't, we just do whatever we want, whatever we want. I don't even like you most of the time. That's like, it's just the reality. <laughs> so you shall receive power in the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, what, so what kind of power are we talking about? I mean, the Holy Spirit power is life-giving power. It's a life force. It's the way that God works. Romans 8 tells us that it's the same power that conquered the great. So God wasn't fooling around when he said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Because he said the same thing that brought Jesus back to life is now available in you. <laughs> Jesus himself said, greater things. You're going to do greater things. I'm establishing a baseline here. But you shall be my witnesses. We've all got a story to tell. 
We've all got a story to tell about God at work in our lives. Now, here's what's interesting. Both Jewish teachings and the teachings of Jesus show us that any occurrence that one is testifying about can only be established in the presence of two or three witnesses. So when you testify as a witness, you're not only, your word is not enough to establish a truth. You need two or three people to also testify. So when you know, you're driving to work and the person in front of you uh, rear-ends the next person in front of them, and you're the first witness on the scene, in, 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 according to Scripture, if we were going by Jewish law, if you were to get out and you were to testify and you were the only witness, that would not be enough to corroborate the facts of what happened. We find this in two places, Deuteronomy 19.15 and Matthew 18.16. They're both in your version Bible notes. Uh, in Matthew it says, but if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Here's what's amazing about this idea or about this thought. When God says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will become my witnesses, he didn't create you to be a witness by yourself. He didn't send you out there and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you Holy Spirit power. Now you just need to go and do your own thing and, and, just, and, and go and, and find truth and be truth and live truth and reach people and see people saved. You say, no, I created you for all of this to happen in community. So you don't have to do it by yourself. So you don't have to be alone. Not only is the Holy Spirit going to come upon you, but he's going to come, 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 come upon you. Elvis Presley's in the house. He's going to come upon you. Bethany and Carolee and Brendan and Matt, so that when Brendan says, man, you guys, you know what God is doing in my life? It's amazing, and he tells the story. Matt goes, yeah, I actually see God doing that in your life. And Bethany goes, man, yeah, Brendan, like, you were a 10 out of 10 jerk. And you are a 7 out of 10 jerk now. It's a miracle. It's miraculous. Because we think that the, the Holy Spirit power of God is just him doing incredible, miraculous things, which it is, but it doesn't stop there. The, Galatians 5.22 says the fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. All these incredible things. You see, God gives you and develops within you the character to carry your calling. And he does that in community because when you live out your life and God is at work in your life, others around you can see God at work in your life. They might not be able to put their finger on exactly what it is that caused it, but what they see is the fruit or what they see is the outcome. Just like Brendan, he was a 10 out of 10 jerk. But his coworker goes, man, I think Brendan just gave me a compliment. It's a miracle. It is. It's the power of God at work in his life. Rounding off our sharp edges. And he does it in community because Matt sees and he goes, man, Brennan, I don't, God is doing something in you because you're just, man, you're amazing. Like, God's doing all kinds of things. And he's like, yeah, he's really been speaking to me and, and teaching me. He, these other witnesses come and they begin to confirm the things that God are doing. Why? Because when we go it alone... We start to second-guess ourselves, or we miss the evidence of God at work in our life. If Brendan goes from a 10 out of 10 jerk to a 7 out of 10 jerk, and if he lives completely alone in isolation, 
Nobody else can see the progress. And he just thinks he's the same old guy. But the truth is God is using that community around him to show the evidence of God at work. You know, the Bible says that we should greet each other with psalm hymns and spiritual songs. And you're like, why should we greet each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? That seems really weird. Like, we're not in La La Land. This is not a musical. This is not a like, hello, Brendan. You know, that's how we do baby dedications. We sing Lion King songs. Right? I mean, that's what the Bible says. Greet each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Your word is a lamp to my feet. You know, it's like, okay. It's like Christian ringtones at the office. It's like, man, that guy plays Toby Mac too. That's awesome. It's like, why does the Bible say that we greet each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? I honestly believe that when we read these, these scriptures and we see the transformation at work in the life of our friend or our brother, that we just can't help but break into praise and adoration because words are not enough to describe the incredible miracle that's happening in his life. And I become so, like my life is a soundtrack, so we become so overwhelmed with joy that I can't help but go, man, greater you, Lord. Greater you, Lord. Greater you, Lord. Because there's, there's no words to describe the incredibleness of God at work in our lives. This word witness has uh, three main uh, ways it's used in the scripture. The, the uh, Greek word is martus. And I think I butchered that, but I Googled it, so that's, that's about as good as it's going to get. You can see the actual Greek spelling in your version notes. There's three kind of ways the Bible uses this word. The first way is in a legal sense, like we discussed, a legal witness. The second way is in a historical sense, which is like a spectator watching the Oilers, like you're sitting in the crowd. So you can either be a witness and see a first-hand account, the first person on the scene of the accident, or a witness as in you're sitting back and you're seeing the larger picture, the larger thing uh, unfold in front of you, and you're like a witness watching into a historical event. Or in a third way, in an ethical sense, and this is what the definition says, because the root word of the word martyr is the word martus. Those who after his example, his being Jesus, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Oh. Jesus wants me to die for him too? Well, right off the start, he kind of asked for your whole life. But there's three ways that we can tell our story, and I want to kind of dive into these three ways. To do that, we're going to go to Luke chapter 9. If you have a Bible, meet me over in Luke chapter 9. If you got a phone, meet me there as well. The first way that we can, or the first level of telling um, our story is my story. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, my story. Telling your story, the, work, the story of you, your journey. What God is doing at work within you. Everyone that is around you is a witness to your journey. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them the power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Basically, haters going to hate and move on. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. We'll just stop right there. So Jesus gathers his 12 disciples, and he's about, he sends them out, and he sends them out ahead of where he's going to go. And he gives them, in this moment, he gives them all power and all authority to heal the sick and to cast out all demons. So when Jesus gives them all power and all authority, he actually means that he's going to give them all power and all authority. So the question is, we don't know how Jesus did that. How did Jesus give them all power and all authority? The Bible just says that Jesus gave them all power and all authority. I like to think that because they've been walking with Jesus for, for some amount of time, that they've, they've seen how he operates, they see how he functions, they see how he lives. They're like, okay, well, we've seen Jesus do this like a, a ton of times, and he's sending us out, and he's telling us to go heal all of the sick and, and cast out all demons. And, and so Jesus endows them with his power with one simple word. And as they step out on their journey and they head to these towns and these places, begin to pray for people, they, they see that when they begin to pray and move in the name of Jesus, that they have all authority. Incredibly enough, Jesus gave us the same power and authority, just the one word in Matthew 28 when he said, and go into all the world. So he sends the disciples out. They do their circuit from villages. They preach the good news. They heal the sick. They come back. They tell Jesus all about it. Word gets out in the next verse, verse 7, to, to Herod, who already beheaded John. And when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled because some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought that Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. After this, the disciples are telling Jesus, and the good news is starting to spread about people who come in the name of Jesus. They start to, their, their faith, they hear this name, they see the results, and the faith starts to rise. They start getting courage. So that's, that's how when, when people are lining the streets and we hear about blind Bartimaeus who heard about Jesus and he was sitting on the side of the road waiting in anticipation and expectation, it was because they already began to taste and see the goodness of God when the disciples came around and were healing all the sick and casting out all the demons. In this chapter, incredible things happen. They move to, to get away from the crowds, and the crowds follow them, and, and there's 5,000 people, and Jesus teaches all day. You're familiar with this. He teaches to them all day, and the disciples come up to Jesus and go, hey, Lord, I think it's a great idea to uh, send the people to McDonald's or something and get, get some snacks. They're, they're getting weary. Let's be honest, we're getting a little hungry uh, Judas is really hangry. <laughs> Maybe we could do something about that. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he goes, you feed them. I already gave you all the 
power of the authority. Like, you just feed them. And they freak out and can't do it. So Jesus says, fine, give me. Just take these around. You won't run out. Really? You'll never run out. They come around because each disciple carried a basket. And guess what? Twelve leftovers, one doggy bag for each disciple. So there's always more than enough with Jesus. And even though it was probably their selfishness that prompted him to take a dinner break, he took care of their needs too. They get on a boat and they do their thing. They end up on the Mount Transfiguration where Jesus takes a couple of disciples up and these incredible, amazing things happen. Elijah's there, Moses is there, people are glowing. They like want to establish a theme park based on this idea. Like you thought science fiction was unique and original. Uh, No, people come back from the dead in the Bible and they stand there glowing on a mountain. Sci-fi comes from the Bible. And they come down the mountain and there's this crowd that's gathered after Jesus had come back. This man comes up. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 9. The next day, in verse 37, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you here? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. All gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. So the disciples were, were pretty jacked up after their ministry trip. They saw all these people healed, all these people saved, delivered. They came back and they started telling each other the amazing stories about what God had done. They're like, John's like, listen, well, I healed 14 blind people. And Peter's like, yeah, I healed 17 blind people. And Doubting Thomas is like, I'm not sure if I did, but I think I healed like 21 people. That was a subtle joke for all you Doubting Thomas fans out there. It just went right over most of your heads. It's fine. It's a Bible literacy issue that we're going to deal with. So um, I lost my whole train of thought. They, they're telling each other and Jesus how amazing they are. And they're sharing their story and they're sharing their journey and how God is literally transforming their lives and transforming other people through their lives. But can I tell you, as you're telling your story and as it becomes evident that God is working in you and through you, growth always comes with growing pains. It always comes with growing pains. See, we go on a journey and we want to grow and we want to lead and we want to get bigger and we want to get better and we want God to do more things. But there always comes growing pains with growth. There always comes some difficulty. There always comes some struggles. The struggles of the disciples is that they just forgot to mention to Jesus that they couldn't cast the demon out of this boy. (laughs) They're like, ah, it's fine. We'll get it the next time around. Nobody will find out. Until Jesus comes and says, these guys tried it. 
didn't work. Your disciples tried, they couldn't do it. And so this crowd is gathered, and we think that Jesus turns to the crowd and says, you faithless and corrupt people. But he's saying it to his disciples. Guys, you faithless and corrupt people who just want to revel in all the glory and the good times. But you had a growth moment. You had a learning opportunity when I could have, we could have talked about this, and this would have never happened again. We wouldn't have been in this situation right now. How long do I have to stay with you until you understand? And Jesus actually rebukes them. He's like, guys, pull it together. Because growth comes with growing pains. And he sets, he sets the boy free. Verse 43, all gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. Ah, wow. Hovers across the crowd. Can you believe what Jesus just did? That kid was terrifying. The foam, it was so gross, but it's gone now. All gripped the people. Verse 44. Listen to me and remember what I say. Here we go, verse 43 and 44. While everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44, listen to me and remember what I say. While everyone was marveling, while everyone was ooing and awing at the power of God, he turns back to his disciples and says, listen to me right now. Church, can I encourage you don't miss the significant in the midst of the spectacular in the midst of these moments we just want to go wow that's amazing it's in those moments that Jesus wants to speak into the deepest part of who you are don't miss the significant moment in the midst of the spectacular. Jim, why don't you come? The Holy Spirit should come upon you will be my witnesses. We struggle with knowing what stories to tell, who to tell it to. Why should we even tell it and is God even doing anything in me your journey is proof the people around you can see God at work in your life already because God always works on your character at the same time that he develops your calling we like to think that God just comes with his Holy Spirit power and I'm an incredible superhuman now but he uses your character and the development of who you are as a person to speak into the depths and the souls of your coworkers. How do you even do this? How do you even tell your story? It's pretty simple. Let's say you're a 10 out of 10 jerk and you're now a 7 out of 10 jerk. And somebody in your office comes up to you and they go, hey, um, man, like, I just wanted to thank you for that thing that you said the other day that was really surprising. 
and I didn't really expect that to come from you, and it just means a lot coming from you, that, that compliment, because normally you're not like the complimenting type. And you in that moment, sensing that this is your moment to tell your story, that this is a God-ordained moment where God developed your character to the point where people could now clearly see God at work in your life. You say, hey, no problem. Thank you so much. And they go, wow, yeah. No, it was, it was great. And you say, just before they go, can I tell you why something's different? Sure. Things are different because Jesus is at work inside of me. And I know that I was a really rough person to be around. But I just can't help but live with a new level of gratitude and thanks. And I just wanted to show appreciation for the great work that you're doing here at work because I don't think you hear it enough. Can I tell you that that person will pick themselves up off the ground because they can't believe the miracle that's taking place in front of them. The power of God at work in our lives is an all-encompassing thing. It takes on every part of who we are. Our personality, our work ethic, our morality, our character. He helps whisper things into us like, hey, you should be on time and not late. <laughs> like, that's not very spiritual. Well, it is when God's got something timed at just the right time and just the right moment, you're always late and he's kind of hoping that you'd start being on time so he can start using you in that way. We all have a story to tell. God's calling us to be his witnesses. So here's the two questions that I have to ask for you today. When was the last time you told a fellow believer about the goodness of God at work in your life? Be a friend, neighbor, someone from church, small group. When was the last time you told a fellow believer the goodness of God at work in your life? It's significant because every time we speak we declare the truth of God at work. And that very thing that God is doing in you may be the very thing that somebody else needs to hear to help them take the next step forward in their journey. See, every time that you speak out that truth, our faith level rises, our hearts go up, our spirits rise. You speak courage, you speak life, and you speak hope into your friend or your neighbor, or your colleague, or the person you're sitting next to at church. Because if it can happen to you, it can happen to them. Second question, when was the last time you told somebody who's not a believer about the goodness of God at work in your life? Well, why would I do that? Well, you would do that because your life is in the process of being transformed, and it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to you. And you would hope that they would experience the same freedom, life, joy that you have. Watch what God does. You might not think you have a story. We all have a story. Why don't we sing this together and stand? The moment you begin to 
share your story and speak to those around you first the believers it's the moment when your story becomes our story where it transitions and it's not just about you anymore it's about your friend or your neighbor or your cousin or your uncle the person sitting next next to you who just needs to know that God is at work in your life because they can't see it because on the horizon they don't see anything they see they see nothing but you're like hey God is raining down his goodness on me right now and every time you begin to share your story you begin to let the faith level in their heart go up and you say you know what I think you need to check the horizon of your life again I think there's rain on the edge I think that I can see a, a, a cloud the size of a man's hand every time you share what God is doing in your life you're giving somebody courage to face the challenge that's in front of them that's the power of community that's why God says it's corroborated by two or three witnesses yeah I can attest to the incredible things that God is doing in Sheila's life so it's not just her telling you a story it's me telling you that her story is legit so whatever you're going through if it worked for her and I saw it happen I know that it can happen for you That's when your story becomes our story. You've been listening to The Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.